Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebro, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. It is now day 10 as Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad are using Gaza's civilian neighborhoods as launching pads to fire rockets indiscriminately into Israel. And right on cue, we have the reliable media outlets reporting about Israel's disproportionate response. This is the fourth time since Israel withdrew from Gaza that Hamas started a war with Israel that they knew they could never win. But then again, victory against Israel was never their aim. Rather, their objectives are to rally the Muslim world together with the UN and the governments of the cowardly European nations against Israel. What is different this time is that Hamas now has allies in the halls of Congress, starting with Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and a former bartender named Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who several years ago, while being interviewed on PBS's firing line, admitted, I'm not an expert on geopolitics, and yet she recently tweeted, this is happening with the support of the United States, as she and other radical progressives slammed the Biden administration. Today, we are honored once again to have one of the most sought-after experts on military conflict and the morality of defensive wars, former British military commander Colonel Richard Kemp, whom Bela will give a proper introduction shortly. Colonel Kemp's unequivocal support and advocacy for the state of Israel and the IDF is unparalleled. In a video distributed by Prager University, the colonel explains why the IDF is the most moral army in the world, which we plan to discuss during our show today. Bela? Thank you, Alan. Elie Wiesel was famously quoted saying, always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor never the tormented. And typically that has been the narrative when Israel was attacked. Now things are somewhat different. While Israel and Gaza have clashed before where Israel was attacked and defended itself, yes, there were always the anti-Zionists who felt that Israel is the aggressor. But presently the political climate around the world is different and more consequential. The media is filled with graphic images of Israelis fleeing to shelters to escape the thousands of rockets fired from the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip. Yet not only do we have the usual Palestinian supporters, such as the squad, harshly criticizing Israel, but around the world there are angry, violent riots protesting against Israel. The morale of Israelis is affected, and this escalation is emotionally weighing heavily on Israelis and is showing evidence of a sociopolitical shift. With us today, as Alan said, is uh, Colonel Richard Kemp. We are so honored. Um, A most humble man who prefers to just be introduced as former British Army commander, but who is so much more that my brief introduction will not do him enough justice. 
Richard Kemp, who was former chairman of the Cobra Intelligence Group, head of international terrorism intelligence at the cabinet office, and currently a strategic advisor and consultant and writer, media commentator, and author of the Sunday Times bestseller, Attack State Red. Colonel, welcome back to our show. Thank you very much, Baylor. It's a great pleasure to be with you again. And I don't think anyone's ever called me humble before. So <laughs> well, take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, numerous Islamist leaders, including senior Hamas founder Mahmoud Zahar, met with Yitzhak Rabin <clears throat> for so-called consultations. Yet Hamas carried out their first attack against Israel in 1989 when they abducted and killed two soldiers. And it didn't stop there. Colonel, I've been following and admiring your illustrious career and work. You published an article about Gaza's distortion of the truth a few years ago that still holds true today and is the reason why Israel is receiving so much condemnation. Can you please share your commentary about that with our audience? I think um, I'd like, first of all, your audience to clearly understand a point that Alan touched on in his opening comments, which is that uh, Hamas, in in initiating these conflicts, and there's no doubt about it, these conflicts, all of them, including the current one, have been initiated unprovoked by Hamas. And they've done so. They haven't done so because they think they're going to defeat the Israel Defence Force or Israel. They won't. They know they won't and they can't. They've done it for one reason, and that is to try and compel Israel to kill Gazan civilians. That's what they want. They are the first army in the history of the world that I know, if you could call them an army, to to use their own civilians and the deaths of their own civilians as a primary weapon of war. Why do they do this? They do it because they know that, as we've seen, as we've been discussing already, the world's media, many international organizations like the UN and the EU, many political leaders, including some of the ones you mentioned in the US, will use these deaths to accuse Israel of war crimes crimes against humanity, and to vilify the Jewish state, to isolate Israel from the world. And and this is their only weapon, and it's a weapon they've used quite effectively in the past. Of course, Israel has no choice other than to respond. But we shouldn't shouldn't delude ourselves in any other way than that Hamas want their own civilians to die. It's shameful, it's disgraceful, and Hamas civilians have suffered immensely as a result of it. And a lot of that, a lot of that, and future suffering by Gaza civilians is because of the support that Hamas get from around the world and the condemnation that media deliver against Israel. That makes, that makes Hamas's tactics work. And therefore, journalists, politicians, human rights groups, all of the other people who condemn Israel and don't condemn Hamas are, are responsible to an extent for what's happening and what's going to happen to the future. And they will have blood on their hands. And they refuse to recognize that they're using humans as shields. Absolutely. And, and in fact, you know, they, are no, they are called human shields. Uh, but, but I don't believe their purpose is to shield in, in the case of Hamas. Terrorist groups in different places around the world, for example, Afghanistan and Iraq, also used human shields genuinely to shield them. And that was to prevent American, British forces, etc., from carrying out attacks against terrorist objectives. In the, in the knowledge that they might kill innocent civilians. It sometimes works, but not Hamas. Hamas go beyond that. Hamas actually want, they don't want to shield themselves. That's a bonus. But even the, the prize 
is the more Israeli civilians, are, the more Gaza civilians are killed as a result of Israel's defensive action. And where a lot of a lot of people in the media take the Hamas sorry, take the Gaza Ministry of Health statistics as being gospel truth. Of course, the Gaza Ministry of Health is controlled by Hamas. They obey Hamas's every single command. For example, and that you know they've been proven to lie about these things in previous conflicts. But for example, in this conflict, um, uh, uh, several hundred, I think maybe four to five hundred Hamas missiles have fallen short and landed inside Gaza. Some of them killing innocent civilians. And the the Gaza Ministry of Health has reported those as casualties caused by Israel. We don't need to know any more than that, really, Colonel. Um, the Jewish people are a funny people, and I don't mean in a ha-ha way. I mean more in a tragic way. You recently gave an interview to Australia Sky News where you marveled at Israel's brilliant tactic of letting Hamas think that Israel was about to go in with a ground invasion, uh, hence leading them to go into their tunnels. And Israel, of course, you know, did the job taking the tunnels out. And it's one thing when the media attacks Israel for I don't know how misleading them, but I read that the editor of the Jerusalem Post criticized Israel, saying, you know, if you're going to trick us like this, then how are we going to know when we can trust you in the future? And there's a part of me that says, I can't believe what I'm reading. Do you expect Israel or any military to tell you to show their hand? This was one of Donald Trump's, you know, um, major things. He said, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I want our enemies to be you know, kept off guard. So here, Israel, as you point out, pulls a masterful trick. And it's a military. I mean, Israel's job is to win a war. It's not to tell the enemy exactly what they're going to do so that they're prepared for them. Can you, is, I don't know if you have a comments or observations um, to explain what you think the media, and especially the Jerusalem Post, why they would criticize Israel for this masterful um, military tactic? Well, I, I, I think that that operation was a masterstroke, as you said, and I think it will be studied in military academies around the world for decades to come. It was a, a classic deception operation which led to the, the destruction, not just of kilometres of tunnels, but also to many, many fighters who were hiding down there. And, I mean... The, the the question as to whether I mean the the the, the proximate cause of that was really uh, Israeli tanks, artillery, and infantry massing on the border, and it was obvious they were there. You know, it was reported in the media. It was seen by Hamas. They expected an imminent invasion. Indeed, the media said that was going to happen. I've discussed this with the Israel Defense Force, and th there is certainly dispute. I think about whether the IDF actually misled the world's media deliberately by, by giving them information which wasn't correct. I, I don't know what the truth is of that. I, I would personally give the IDF the benefit of the doubt myself. But in Winston Churchill, you may have heard of a chap called Winston Churchill, who was one of our minor political leaders here in Britain. He, he once said, during the Second World War, he said something like, truth is so precious. In wartime, truth is so precious she must always be guarded by a bodyguard of lies, um, which speaks for itself, really. You know, you have to deceive the enemy. And sometimes in deceiving the enemy, you're also deceiving the media. So what? I mean, it's not, you know, it's not it's not a big deal, to be honest. It's, it's, it's if it saves lives, 
and makes Israel's military operation more effective, then that's the way it should be. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, I think we, we, saw, we saw similar type of events in the Falkland Islands where, you know, different uh, media commentary, etc., cetera, um, led, led the enemy to think and do certain things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the way war works. I, you know, I think the other, the other point I would make, actually, also in relation to the Jerusalem Post article, is that what does Israel owe the media? I mean, you know, obviously there are some honourable exceptions, including this show, but the, the far, in, in, in what, me watching the media recently, Sky News in the UK, CNN, BBC, numerous other outlets, they are so biased against Israel, inbuilt, innate bias. Uh, and, and, and it's detrimental. It's not just detrimental to Israel, but as I mentioned, it also uh, fuels Hamas's strategy and results in the death of more guards and civilians. So what does Israel owe them? Yeah, of course, you know, Israel needs to work to get them as much on side as possible, but it's an uphill struggle. And the same goes for social media. I mean, I, I've been operating quite a lot in social media recently. It is bombarded by organized anti-Israel uh, postings all over social media. Right. You know, Israel, is, it's, a, it's a tough fight. And part of that fight might upset the press. So what? Let, it, let them be upset, in my view. Colonel, during that operation in Gaza last week where the IDF attacked the Hamas tunnel complex with 12 squadrons of 100, 160 combat planes striking over 150 targets in less than an hour, my question is, how do you think this was a turning point in Gaza? It must have been. Well, I think it was an extremely significant operation. Uh, as I said, co- you know, brought about, enabled really by uh, that deception operation that Israel uh, brilliantly carried out. Um, and, and, and the reason I would say it was a turning point in the conflict is because the metro tunnel system that runs under Gaza that was built by Hamas after um, the 2014 conflict, that's used by them. It's the core, it's the fundamental core of their offensive capabilities. It's where weapons are stored, it's where command activities take place, it's where fighters move from one part of the Gaza Strip to the other without being hit from the air. It's absolutely fundamental to them. And the destruction of so much of that tunnel in that one strike, as well as probably, we don't know the figures, probably dozens if not hundreds of Hamas fighters, would have been a huge body blow to them. So that, that's, that's why, and that, you know, for, for any force fighting anywhere, that kind of strike against it has got to have a huge effect, not only on capabilities, but also on morale. And in fact, since that attack, the IDF has carried out four other operations against the tunnels, against the metro tunnels, which have resulted in 100 kilometres of tunnels under Gaza being destroyed. 100 kilometres. Think about that. I mean, that's obviously very damaging. But, but just think about the tunnels. Every kilometre would have cost huge amounts of money to build. That money could have been spent on civilian infrastructure and civilian welfare it was much of it came from international aid, from tax dollars that your people and people over here in Britain are paying. It's 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 a criminal activity by Hamas, and it quite rightly it was it was destroyed. And the other the other fact about it actually is that in an anal- analysis of previous Hamas tunnels elsewhere, many many civilians have died digging those tunnels. They use child labourers a lot of the time to get into small spaces. Many of them have died just digging those tunnels. So. 
not only a huge loss of revenue for Palestinian civilians going into the war machine, but also the deaths of what Hamas considered to be expendable civilians. Colonel, I believe that this is the fourth time that Hamas has launched rockets into Israel, and every time something more has progressed. You know, the first time years ago, rockets were just fired indiscriminately, and the Israeli media would tell civilians, don't report where the rockets are hitting because we don't want Hamas to know, you know, how accurate they are. And with every escalation, they've gotten a little bit more sophisticated. Today, you know, they're actually, they were hitting the airports, they're hitting Tel Aviv. How have you seen the progression and how do you see this war or these attacks as different than the prior ones? Well, I think uh, I'd have to wait until the conflict finished and look at the overall statistics. But I think we've seen an unprecedented volume of missiles being fired at Israel in a short space of time this time around. Some of them have been sophisticated missiles. Even those, however, haven't done too well. They've, you know, they've, they've used long-range missiles, um, but, but many of them haven't actually hit their targets. Um, they're, they're also, some of them are guided missiles, which is deeply concerning. Um, what, one thing we shouldn't forget is that these missiles and the wherewithal for Hamas to manufacture many, many of the missiles inside Gaza, including in the tunnel complexes, comes from Iran. Uh, Hamas is effectively, as is Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza as well, are effectively proxies of Iran, funded by Iran, armed by Iran, directed by Iran. We see Iran's hand right behind this. Uh, and I think since the previous, in direct answer to your question, I think since the previous conflict, it's been the, invo- the greater involvement of Iran in this, conf- in, this uh, in preparation for this conflict that has made quite a bit of difference. Um, and, and we, you know, we know why this is. We, we know that Iran is, you know, committed as Hamas is to the destruction of Israel and the annihilation of the Jewish state. But we also know at the moment that Iran, because of President Biden's decisions, decision, as as I read it anyway, to try and restore the JCPOA, the nuclear deal, thereby appeasing Iran and releasing san- relieving sanctions against Iran. Iran is desperate for that to happen. They're desperate for sanctions relief. And uh, this gives them leverage. In the negotiations, it gives them leverage with the EU, who are part of the negotiation, also with the US. And it's another another shocking thing, I think, that any right-thinking person will be horrified by the fact that, you know, what I'm telling you now is not my private, personal, secret knowledge. EU and US negotiators know this as well. They know Iran's hand is behind it. They know... Iran is fomenting violence, not not only, but in in this case, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Yet still, they're willing to negotiate with them. Still, they're willing to give them money, which will enable enable them to kill more people and to to provide more missiles for Hamas. So I think, you know, that that's a, you know, Iran also have other reasons for for wanting to do this, which I've I've, I've sort of touched on. But, you know, there, there should be no doubt about Iran's bloody hands in this conflict. You actually stated, Colonel, you actually stated that in a recent interview that Iran wants chaos in Israel. And um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's partly what I'm talking about, what I was talking about with um, chaos in Israel, providing Iran with leverage in 
the uh, talks in Europe at the moment over the nuclear deal. Um, and, and, you know, so, some, some people in the U.S. administration see the, the, the Israel-Palestinian conflict as being the key to wider peace in the Middle East. Um, and, you know, of course, they're rightly wanting to, uh, to, to restore peace to the Middle East, not just in Israel, not just in Gaza, but in other regions, other parts of the Middle East, which are also suffering, for example, Syria and Yemen and so on. Um, and they believe that Iran, um, you know, Iran has the key to this. It, it, I, it's, a, it's a complicated story, which I won't bore you with, all with now, but but many people in the US administration believe Iran has the key. Um, and that's why they want to appease Iran and why by, you know, kind of almost by proxy, they want to also try and appease Palestinians. And whereas, you know, the previous US administration, I believe, had the policy right where they did not appease the Palestinians. They took a hard line against the Palestinians. Um, and the, the result of that really was, uh, was a longer period of peace in, in Israel than, than we'd seen for some time. It was only since this current administration came to power in, in Washington that we've seen this upsurge of, of violence. Now, I'm not blaming the Biden administration for this because it's the, the blame is squarely on Hamas's shoulders. But I think it factors in. It factors into the process, and it, it's 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 a uh, you know one one of the other um, issues that we should not forget about is how how this all started, and it started by Palestinian initiated violence in Jerusalem, right. and it's continued also in addition to what's going on in Gaza with with Palestinian at with sorry with Israeli Arabs carrying out attacks against Israeli Jews inside Israel. Now, that hasn't happened for two decades, and we've seen other conflicts in that time. They didn't trigger that kind of action. This is deliberately orchestrated by Hamas and by indirectly by uh, Iran to achieve this. And partly, part of it, apart from generally wanting chaos, part of it is, to, um, it is because many Arab leaders in Israel who... Um, you know, who, who fear for their own people and who want prosperity and better way of life for their own people, decided to politically engage in mainstream Israeli politics, if necessary, going into coalition with Prime Minister Netanyahu or Natali Bennett. Uh, and, and that terrified Hamas. It terrified other more extreme Arabs in Israel as well. And that led partly to, to that internal conflict inside Israel, which is particularly worrisome, I think, at the moment. Colonel, you mentioned the Biden administration, and recently or last week, he said that Israel has a right to defend itself. You know, I guess after uh, the Obama administration, we're supposed to be grateful for that. But we're seeing something new here now. You have Democrats in Congress, and I mentioned earlier Rashida Tlaib um, and others demanding that the Biden administration support a ceasefire because they see Gaza getting their asses kicked. Um, and yesterday, Joe Biden was in Detroit promoting some other um, policy, and he praised Rashid Tlaib. You're a fighter. I admire you. Blah blah blah. And this is, the, and he knows who she is. He knows that she's a BDS supporter. She knows that she does not acknowledge Israel's right to exist. And and then we also have reports now that even people like Chuck Schumer, who's supposed to be one of the most powerful Jewish senators in America, and Gerald Nadler, who also in his own right is considered a powerful member of Congress, 
calling on the president to support a ceasefire. This basically is calling for capitulation to Hamas because Israel has gone along with every ceasefire, which is nothing more than giving Hamas a chance to just go back and reboot. And when this is happening in America from Jewish leaders, you know, we're in, we're in big trouble. I think it's, it's um, misguided to try and pressure Israel into a ceasefire at this time. Of course, everyone wants a ceasefire. No one wants a ceasefire more than Israeli government and Israeli civilians who are suffering as a result of this. And the IDF, of course, they all want a ceasefire. But we, 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 could, we need to think beyond the current conflict. Um, what, what, what is inevitable is a resurgence of this. We've seen it, as you mentioned, this is the fourth time we've seen this. We've seen other conflicts emanating from Gaza as well, but this is a fourth conflict of this nature. Um, and inevitably there'll be another one. And, and I think, you know, a key issue is to either, is, is to, to both deter Hamas and damage them militarily so much that a future conflict is delayed for as long as possible, as many years as possible. Now, without question, the IDF have done enormous damage to Hamas so far this time round. And I meant, you know, we discussed that one operation. There have been many other very, very devastating operations against Hamas. Uh, but only, only Israel can judge when the time has come, when enough damage will have been done and enough deterrence will have been imposed to stop the fighting. And the, the US doesn't know that. President Biden wise man though he is he doesn't know that i don't know that that people in the eu don't know it none of the jewish politicians and none of the jewish leaders who are calling for a ceasefire in the us know it and even even over here in britain okay we're a small player but our own foreign ministry have been calling for a ceasefire as well uh, and no doubt supported by many other people in, including in the jewish community um but they don't know they do not know when the right time is uh uh, and then, you know, if, if Israel stops short and if Israel is pressured into ceasing its attacks on Gaza before it judges that enough damage has been done, then there will be another round. And when we have the other round, the next round, exactly those same people who have been pressuring Israel, Israel to cease fire now will also be having a go at Israel for, for the next conflict. So I think, you know, I think I think we, we should think beyond just the current days and look at uh, uh, the bloodshed that is likely to follow if Israel doesn't succeed. Right. Colonel, I'm very impressed with your recent essay about Israel being the most moral army. Can you please tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not my view alone that Israel, um, you know, I, I, I said once that uh, Israel, the, the IDF, takes greater steps than any other army in the history of warfare to prevent the deaths of innocent civilians on the battlefield, the enemy, the deaths of enemy civilians on the battlefield, the greatest in history. And I, and I believe that to be true. And I'm supported by many other people, people who know what they're talking about. Um, and, and, you know, just, just recently, uh, not recently, but a, a few years ago, I was part of a military delegation which went to Israel and studied the 2014 Gaza conflict. And this was made up of generals from armies around, retired generals from armies around the world, from the US, from Britain, from France, Germany, Italy, some Latin American countries, India, uh, Canada, Australia, and, and other places. And this group of generals studied what happened, 
they were given access to uh, information and records that hadn't been seen before. And they concluded at the end of their study, there were many conclusions, one of which was that they, they were concerned about what Israel had done. And their concern in terms of protecting civilian lives, their concern was that Israel had set the bar too high for their own armies to be able to achieve it. So they were, they were you know, they, they felt Israel has now established the norm. We won't mm-hmm. be able to do it and will therefore be criticised. An understandable concern. Obviously, it's not a concern for Israel. But why is that? Why, why is Israel, why is the IDF have so many moral principles? Why does it take so, so many very careful steps to uh, eradicate, sorry, to prevent the eradication of innocent civilians? There, there are a number of reasons for it, I think, in comparison to other armies. One is the fact that the IDF is a, an all, a conscript army, which our armies in, in Britain and America are not conscripts. And therefore, I think the members of the army, the soldiers who are doing the fighting on the ground, uh, they don't particularly want to be there fighting. You know, they're, they're there because they were told to go there because the law requires it and they know they have to defend their country. But they're not natural you know, they, they haven't joined because they want to be fighters. And so they have a different outlook to professional soldiers who do join because they want to be fighters. I joined the army because I wanted to fight. Most people do. Different mentality. Secondly, I think, is a religious one. And I think Judaism has uh, imposes a degree of morality on Israeli forces that is, does not exist uh, in, in relation to most other Western forces. Now, I'm speaking not as a Jew, but as a Christian here. But what I do know, I'm, I'm well aware that the, the, you know, the majority of Israelis are not observant Jews. They don't go to synagogue every, every Friday, etc. Um, but nevertheless, the, the, the Jewish morality is far more evident throughout Israel than Christian morality is, I think, in, in our countries. I think America is much stronger than Britain in that respect. But that, you know, that people scoff at religion, that does actually impose a moral stance. Um, and, the, and the second, the more practical aspect to this is that Gaza is a very small area, very, very small area. Israel knows it intimately, has once had possession of it in terms of being present with civilian populations, with military forces, which it gave up voluntarily a few years back. But since then, it's been under attack from Gaza frequently. Israel understands everything that's happening in Gaza. It has the unrivaled intelligence and surveillance coverage of Gaza. That's why we see, you know, individual offices in, uh, in uh, high-rise buildings being targeted for attack because they know where they are and what they're doing uh, in a very small area. That, that doesn't really apply to other Western forces. For example, US forces in Afghanistan had massive areas to cover. They were shifting, troops moved around. Intelligence coverage couldn't possibly be anything like it is in Gaza. So I think those things as well as the, the, the huge effort that Israel has developed in its targeting processes and its, its um, you know, the technology that it's brought to bear to try and avoid innocent civilian casualties is, makes such a difference to the way the IDF operates. You know, Colonel, you mentioned about the Jewish morality, and as someone who's Jewish, I'm very proud of that. Uh, we know during the ISIS war in Syria and while Assad was using 
chemical weapons on his own people. We saw children at the border being taken in by Israel and treated in Israeli hospitals. We remembered, I think it was during the Obama administration when you had the hurricanes in Haiti and all countries were rushing to set up um, pop-up hospitals there. And even CNN was marveled at how quick Israel and how efficient they were and how many Haitians they were able to, to rescue. And you know how the Palestinian media reported it? Yeah, Israel went there because they want to harvest their organs. So Israel is always um, in, a, in, a, in a war for its very soul because those who seek their destruction, and I always tell people this, you're never going to win by truth. Truth is not the issue here. Those who seek to harm Israel and the Jewish people, they're doing it because they're driven by an agenda, not by truth, not by facts. The fact that they compare us uh, to Nazism, um, the fact that you have Jews like Peter Beinart, who to me should be ostracized from the Jewish community. He is the biggest offender of, his, of Israel's enemies. So when we see people, this is why people like you are such heroes to us. It's very easy for Jews to defend Israel and Judaism. But for someone like you who owes us nothing to come out and advocate the way you are is why you're such a hero and why you know we have such a tremendous debt of gratitude to people like you. I'm positive that Oscar Schindler today would be attacked by the Jewish left because even though he rescued Jews, but he was still a womanizer and he was still a member of the Nazi party. And this is the mentality that we're fighting today. Yeah, I think, I mean, one, I'll make a couple of points on that. It's, it's, um, it is a very tough fight that Israel has not, not, you know, on the battlefield, it's tough. Yes. But I think the, the, the fight around the world among politicians, international groups, media, etc. I think that's a much harder fight for Israel to win. Um, and it, it's, a, it's as a result of a, um, a decades-long campaign, against, propaganda campaign against Israel, what I would describe as the, the, the greatest slur campaign in the history of the world, which has had so many resources and assets directed against Israel. And we've seen... We're now seeing people churned out of universities who have been indoctrinated by university professors who themselves before were indoctrinated by this anti-Israel propaganda. Uh, and it's, it's really hard to counter, and it's only going to get worse. Uh, and and, and, and the other, another comment I would say on what you've said is that um, I, I, I mentioned religion before in relation to the morality of the IDF. Uh, this is a religious war. Most people won't accept that. They, you know, most people in most Western countries, I think, where religion is dying, right. can't see it. They don't understand it, and they don't want to understand it. They don't want to hear about it. But it is a religious war. Why do Hamas and indeed the Palestinian Authority, both of them, want the annihilation of the state of Israel? They both do by different means, but that's what they both want. Why do they want it? They want it because under the in the Quran. It is impossible for any country to have for any non-Muslim to have sovereignty over any country that was once ruled by Islam, and and that's that is the simple reality, and that's the reason you know there's there's, there's nothing really that can can uh, contradict that. Once upon a time, you know, various the history has obviously changed and moved, but once most recently, before. The British conquered the Ottoman Empire in the land of Palestine in 1917 and 1918. It was ruled by the Ottoman Muslim Empire. Right. They've got, they can't accept 
a different situation now. And, the, the, you know, the leadership, and I'm not talking about every Palestinian, I'm certainly not talking about every Muslim, but the Palestinian leadership do not want a two-state solution. They want one state, a Muslim state, ruled by them, and they want rid of the Jewish state. And that is a fundamental fact, which, again, I think many people refuse to accept. And the final point I'd say, you, you mentioned that I, who, you know, I don't owe anything to Israel. I do actually owe quite a lot to Israel. And what I owe to Israel is, um, as a Briton, is that Israel is fighting on the front line of an exist- a, a civilizational threat, a civilizational fight that we're all fighting in America, in Britain, other European countries and around the world. And Israel's right on the front line of that. And Israel's stand helps protect us as well. And even more, in more, you know, more sort of uh, granular aspect than that, uh, every Western country and most non-Western countries as well, Arab countries, Iran even in some circumstances, have benefited from Israeli intelligence, which has saved lives. For example, in Britain, in uh, I think it was 2015 or 2016, Iran, using their Hezbollah proxy, set up an explosive factory in London. They wanted to carry out a bombing campaign in London with huge quantities of of explosive material. That was stopped by our intelligence services and police because of intelligence passed by Israel. That's just one of many, many examples. And, And there are other things, the battlefield medical technology, combat technology that Israel has provided to us, which which helps us in our fights. So I do owe a lot to Israel, um, and, and I'm not alone in thinking this. I, you know, the, the, the vast majority of former British and American soldiers and serving soldiers that I speak to feel the same about this as I do. Why is that compared to maybe the general population in Britain and maybe an increasing amount of the population in the US? The reason is because people who have served in the armed forces have fought the same enemy as Israel's fighting, who use the same tactics in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, elsewhere. They know the fight that Israel's fighting. They understand why Israel fights the way it does. They don't look at the BBC or CNN and believe what they're saying because they've experienced it themselves. Colonel, we have about one more minute left. Uh, in your opinion, what can be done to change the view of the media at large? I think it, it, it's... it's um, it's almost an impossibility. And a, a very uh, excellent uh, Israeli journalist called Matty Friedman wrote an article about this from his own experience working in mainstream media organisations. Um, and he explained how ingrained the media attitude is. So it is a very difficult thing. I think, I think the, 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 the most important means of addressing this situation is for, I would say, for, for those people with media influence to use it for the good and to try and bring truth, but it's hard. I mean, I, you know, m- m- most media organizations, mainstream, don't want to hear me on this subject. They have for me to talk about other military yeah. issues, not Israel, because it's against the agenda. So it's, it is hard. But secondly, I think, to use social media. And I mentioned before that social media has bombarded, uh, sorry, the anti-Israel social media has bombarded most channels uh, in this conflict, and that needs to be fought back against. Everyone can do that. Everyone can get some facts into their head and shove it out on social media to counter this. And then finally, I think anybody that can should write to their representative, their member of parliament, whatever uh, political leadership they have, write to them and 
and urge them to do the right thing over Israel. I think the more people do that, um, and there are organizations in the US that do this on a, on a very organized way, yes. but to do it individually as well, to, 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 to basically try and submerge political leaders with the truth, particularly the ones who aren't. There are obviously some who, who are very strong in their support of Israel, but, but the ones who aren't do need to be influenced by the people who elect them. Thank you. We are out of time. Colonel, thank you for joining us again on the Definitive Wrap. We thank our audience for tuning in and vinnews.com for our show being their official podcast. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.